Let's turn in our Bibles, and that'll be the last time we probably laugh a little bit this morning, to Isaiah 53, as we get started this morning. We're going to talk about the day Christ died. And in introducing that, that day might have been a day like today, I don't know. It's one of the hardest messages I've ever preached. I'm going to bring this thing up a little bit. And so, if I have to pause at times and compose myself, please understand, it's a difficult thing to preach about, the death, the day Christ died. Because we not only cover the cross, we're going to take you all the way from the previous evening, the night, the Garden of Gethsemane, to the cross, through the cross. It says in James, we've seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful of tender mercy. And his death was one for the ages. Not because it was unusual, thousands of people were crucified, but only one Lord Jesus Christ, only one Son of God, only one person in all of history died for the sins of mankind. It makes him unique. This is why millions if not billions of people have turned to him through in faith. Because he is very unique. Well, at least maybe a thousand years before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah wrote about his death. And in the book of Isaiah, we read, beginning in verse 3, about the death of Christ. Again, way many, many years before he was born talking about the Messiah when he would come. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, but we esteemed him not. In other words, they didn't esteem him for who he was. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. Bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. This is for us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, have we not? We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, very important words. And as a sheep before his shear is dumb, he opens not his mouth. He is taken from prison and judgment. He was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and rich in death, he did. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He goes on and says, he made his soul an offering for sin. <clears throat> and lastly, in verse 12, the latter part, he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I want us to remember that this morning as we look at the death that Christ died. When did his sufferings begin? 
In Hebrews 9.26, it tells us that he suffered before the foundation of the world. What do you mean? Well, Jesus knew all that was going to happen. And he could, through eternity, look in the future. And he, being the Son of God, the eternal Son, looked ahead and saw that he would be the one to redeem mankind, to redeem you and me, to dial the cross for our sins so that we might have a pathway to God, so that we might have heaven. He knew in eternity, so he anguished even before he ever came about what lie before him or lay before him. He came to earth. He suffered many things, did he not? He was rejected by those of his own nation. He went to his home, Nazareth, and they took him down to cast him off the cliff and to stone him, but they could not. His nation would reject him. John said he came into his own, and his own received him not. He was made, he who made the world, but the world did not know him. And finally, that night before his death, we find him in a lonely garden. And I say lonely. Because he was alone. You say, well, his disciples were with him. Yes, they were. But they fell asleep. And so Jesus went off a little beyond them to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, in quiet, and he was there alone. He knew in his heart what had already happened, that his best, his good friend Judas, as the prophecy says, yea, my own familiar friend has lifted up his heel against me. For 30 pieces of silver, it prophesied in the Old Testament he would be betrayed. He knew Judas would betray him. He'd already told Peter, Peter, before the night's over, you'll deny me three times. And they would all forsake him. So he was already alone. It is late night, and Jesus cries out to God the Father because he knows what awaits him tomorrow is a cross. And there are several cups that will come before him. The first, they will offer him a cup, a painkiller on the cross that will take away his pain. He cannot accept it. And then lastly, in the darkest hour, the cup of God's judgment will fall upon him. And he tries to figure out how he will withstand that. For hours he cries out to God and so intensely that the capillaries in his eyes burst and he begins to bleed out of his eyes. Intense prayer. He is alone and forsaken. And finally he is disturbed by the sound of soldiers coming and he sees Judas, and Judas kisses him to identify who Jesus is. He identifies Jesus by kissing him. He's already betrayed him. Peter grabs the sword and cuts off the uh, servant's ear. And Jesus, the last time, heals a person. He physically, he puts the ear back on and tells Peter, He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. He offers no resistance as he's led away. Elsewhere in the Bible, they came to him, the soldiers, and said, 
Are you Jesus? And he says the words, I am, which is the name of God in the Old Testament, I am. And it says they all fell back. So he could have destroyed them. He could have had done anything that he wanted to do. But what happened? He was led away quietly to judgment. It says in Isaiah 53.8, he was taken from prison and judgment. He was taken that night before the high priest. Back to Herod, to the high priest, back and forth. He is beaten, humiliated, one to another. A mock trial in which witnesses are brought. They contradict each other. And here is Jesus now. He spent three years with twelve men and all have either betrayed him or forsaken him. He is alone in his darkest hour. Like I said, Peter has denied him three times. He brought them together right before that time in John 15. And he said, I've called you servants. In John 15, 5, he says, but now I call you friends. All his friends have forsaken him. Have you ever felt forsaken, betrayed? Have you? By someone you love? Heartbroken. You know the Lord Jesus knows all these feelings. He's experienced them. The prophet of the Old Testament had had a vision of Jesus crucified. And he saw Jesus in glory with the wounds. He says, where, Lord, Jehovah, have you these wounds in your hands and feet? Where, the, in your side, where have these wounds come from? He says, these are the wounds I was wounded in the house of my friends. He's taken that next morning. Pilate is warned by his wife not to have anything to do with him. And so Pilate, in order to satisfy the mob, takes him and has him beaten with a cat of nine tails. So you know what the cat of nine tails is? has nine strips of leather on it. It has bone, glass, metal, anything sharp, jagged. It is said that 40, 40 stripes with this whip will kill a man. And so he has 39 times. They put these stripes across his back. By his stripes we are healed. Literally tearing at the flesh so much that it, it reaches down to the very bone. There may have been, I don't know, nerves, muscles are all torn from his back. His back must have been a mess, a bloody mess. So that morning he is beaten. At this point, many people who are beaten like that go into a shock. An involuntary shock and die. The pain from the wounds. He's had a dramatic loss of blood. And yet he's had nothing to drink, to eat, nor sleep. He goes before, before Pilate in the judgment hall. And if you want to turn to uh, John chapter 19 in the New Testament, we'll take up there John chapter 19. And Jesus will not speak to him. 
finally he says, well, they claim you're a king. And he says, but my kingdom is not of this world. He does say that. And then finally, Pilate, trying to get Jesus to say something, looks at him and says, Jesus, don't you realize that I have the power to crucify you or let you go? And they say Jesus lifted his head and said, you have no power at all except that we're given you from above. They said from that time on, Pilate sought to free Jesus. Jesus made him fear. He is convinced of Jesus' innocence. He openly declares, I find no fault in him. Look at John 19, verses 2 through 8. And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. And therefore Pilate therefore went forth again and said to them, Before I bring him forth to you, that you may know I find no fault in him. So twice he has declared the Roman government finds no fault in this man. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns, the purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold the man. And the chief priests and officers saw him. They cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him and crucify him, for I find, again, no fault in him the third time. We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. And then they go into the great judgment hall, and Jesus responds to him. But Pilate was not afraid of the crowd, but of Jesus. And by Roman law, he was innocent. By Roman law, he should have been let go. But he allowed the crowd to make the decision. So here was Jesus, beaten. Pilate washes his hands. He says, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But he did. His, he could wash his hands, but he could not wash his heart, could he? He could not get away from the fact he had defied his own law by crucifying this man. He says, let him be crucified. I wonder if Jesus was thinking about just a week earlier, he had come into Jerusalem and what had happened. He'd come in riding on a donkey. To cheers, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, save us now. And the crowd had changed. The crowd now cheered, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. There was yet one thing that Pilate could do. And that was to release him. It was allowed by him to release a criminal. He had Barabbas. Barabbas was there. Barabbas was a murderer and a rebel, had led rebellion and murdered many people. And Pilate thought, surely, if I put Barabbas out there in Jesus, and let say, let one go, they're going to say, let Jesus go. So Pilate puts both criminals out there. And guess what? The crowd says, let Barabbas go and crucify Jesus. What had Jesus done? 
What sin had Jesus committed other than declare He was the Son of God and that's who He was? He was the Son of God. But let Barabbas go. Let Jesus be crucified. So Barabbas was let go. Barabbas received his freedom. A man who was a criminal. A man who was guilty. A man in whom there was no doubt he committed awful and grievous crimes. He got a pass. Jesus stood in his place that day. Boy, you know, in Barabbas we have a picture of all of humanity, do we not? Do we not? You and I, we stand before God guilty. There's no question that we are guilty of sin. There's no question that we're guilty of wrong. And we all stand before God, yet God has placed Him, Jesus, in our place. And He took the death that we should have died. And He died for our sins on the cross. We're all Barabbas, in a way. But the bloodthirsty crowd calls out for Barabbas. Jesus is given the cross. He is now fighting the shock and loss of blood that he has endured. Finally, Pilate puts the sign made to go above his head. Jesus, King of the Jews. You see, before everyone who was crucified, they put a sign on the cross that told you what sins they had committed. If it was murder, they put murder. Robbery, whatever. Whatever sins they had committed, whatever crimes they had committed, they put it on a board and nailed it to the top of the cross. Well, Pilate had one made for Jesus. Jesus, King of the Jews. Well, that's not a crime. And the religious leaders protested, but finally Pilate got some gumption about him and said, no, what I've written, I've written. That's it. That's the end of it. You may crucify him, an innocent man, but I'm not going to lend my credence to it by putting a lie on the cross. So he just puts Jesus, King of the Jews. Wow. Now we begin the road to Golgotha. Before he leaves the judgment hall, once again the Roman soldiers assault him, mock him, kneeling before him, beating him. They put the crown of thorns on him. The crown of thorns, I don't know what that would be like. It'd have to be painful. Cutting into the flesh of his head, he's bleeding even more. He's bled from his eyes. He's bled from his head. His back is literally flesh torn loose. And he's led up to Golgotha, a rocky road that's very uneven. He is weak. He is wounded. He is broken. And he's carrying on his back a cross that is roughly hewn with splinters and who knows what. And he feels the weight of the cross on his back that has been beaten and open wounds. And the grade is uphill and steep. And now his physical beatings began to take a final toll as he falls beneath the weight. Simon is compelled to carry it for him. What a great blessing to have carried the Savior's cross to Golgotha. And he's, for that, he's never been forgotten, has he? 
There were women weeping all along the way as they saw this man being led up to Golgotha, weeping. And Jesus reaches out to them and says, Weep not for me, but for your children and your children's children. And finally, we come to the Golgotha, place of the skull, Calvary in the Latin. Crucifixion was considered unclean by the priests. That's why they had to go outside the city of Jerusalem. Right outside the city, right outside the city gate. To the place of Golgotha, a lonely place. No vegetation grew there. just a rock that looks like a skull. They call it the place of the skull. That's why it, where it got its name. But it was a good place to crucify people, so they crucified people there. And thus, it enhanced its name even more so. In the book of Hebrews, Paul trying to make a correlation. Since sometimes when we identify with Jesus, we're going to have to take a hit. We're going to have to endure some things. And he says, why don't you just come with me, go outside the gate and endure his shame. He said, go to where the, Jesus was, go to the cross, go outside the gate where they considered it unclean. You might be considered a lot of things, but go there where Jesus is. Paul said, join me. He stands there before the hill. He sees his mother and the Apostle John, the first Apostle he has seen since he has been betrayed. Been betrayed. And he looks at his mother. can't imagine how he looked at this time. And he said, Behold thy son. Woman, behold thy son. And maybe she thought back To a day when she took a little child into the temple for presentation. And the prophet said, told a lot of things about Jesus. He said, yes. Mary, someday a sword will pierce your own heart. This was the day. There he was laid with his wounds on a rough, that roughly hewn piece of wood. It must have hurt terribly because they put his back against the wood. His loss of blood was now acute. The thorns tore at his head. The wounds in his back. Without much ceremony because the Roman soldiers were good and quick. They could nail you to that cross because they'd done it hundreds of times. They knew where to put the, the, the nail. They knew exactly where to put the feet. The idea was they didn't want them to slip off. Didn't want to tear through. So not, couldn't have anybody falling off the cross. So they were experts. The Phoenicians had invented crucifixion. It was meant as a 
discourage rebellions, and to give a lasting visual of what disobeying them meant. It was meant to be a long, drawn-out suffering. Does everybody understand this? Crucifixion was not a quick death. Sometimes people live for 24 hours. You say, how could that be? Well, because, again, they were careful. They didn't break any blood vessels, any major arteries. They nailed you to the cross. And as Jesus would just momentarily realize the only way you could breathe on the cross was to pull yourself up, push yourself up, get a breath, and then relax again because it worked on your pectoral muscles. So breathing was difficult on the cross. And every breath was laborious because you had to pull up on your hands and push up on your feet just to get a breath. And then you would slump down. And then the involuntary panic of not breathing, if you've ever had that experience, I have, sets in and you just go crazy and you pull up again. And this went on for hours and hours and hours. They nailed him to the cross. They dropped it into the hole, which must have also just been heinous, and painfully heinous. Jesus became aware of one thing from the distance where he was. He could see in the distance the preparations going on for the lamb to be crucified, not to be crucified, but but to be offered as a sacrifice. He could see the lamb. But folks, that lamb would not be honored by God because the lamb of God was dying that day. No other sacrifice would ever be accepted by God because he was the sacrifice. That's why when John saw him, he said, Behold the lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. See, God gave them that ceremony to tell them what Jesus would do, and Jesus was doing it that day. But he could see the lamb being prepared. And now he's on the cross. The involuntary panic was set in many times as Jesus pulled up on his hands and pushed up on his feet to grab a breath. And now his situation was nearing 18 hours. He was three hours on the cross. He said, I thirst. They offered him gall and vinegar. He refused it, turned his head away. And in his torment, in his horrible torment, how does Jesus respond? The centurion is there. He's watching everything, paying attention, watching him nailed to the cross. The guy who's the sergeant or lieutenant of the whole affair. And Jesus speaks from the cross. And what does he say? Does he condemn them? No. They're, they're taunting him and saying, if you're the son of God, come down. You saved others. Save yourself. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Paul said later, had they known it's the prince of glory, they would have never crucified him. They know not what they do. There were two men crucified with him. At first, they both began to, with the crowd, rail on Jesus. Finally, one of them comes around. He's dying, as Jesus is. 
And he turns to Jesus. He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Those two men symbolize humanity. Both are guilty. One turns in faith to Jesus, the other never does. It represents all of humanity. One in faith, one unrepentant. At this point, the sky begins to get dark. Beautiful day like this. It's dark at midday. You say, why? Well, I have a theory. Because God was about to place the sin of the world on Jesus. What killed Jesus? Was it shock? Loss of blood? No. You know, when the other two thieves, they came to them at the end, they had to, before, before the sun set, they had to be dead. Why? Because Passover was coming. And so they came to the guys, the thieves, and broke their legs. Why would breaking their legs? Well, then they couldn't breathe. They would die, right? They died of asphyxiation. So if you broke the thieves' legs, they couldn't die. They died. They came to Jesus. And they said, well, he looks already dead. They put in the spear, and sure enough, blood and water came out. He was dead. What killed Jesus? It wasn't loss of blood. It wasn't shock. Folks, the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. Sin killed Jesus. What do you mean? Our sin. Your sin. We might try to blame the Jews or the Romans. But if you want to know who crucified Jesus, go home and look in the mirror. You and I did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He has made him Jesus, to be sin for us, Jesus who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. That day in history, God took all the sins of mankind, past, present, and future, and poured them out upon Jesus. And I believe the sky was dark and God the Father did not want to look on the sun as He became sin. He became the one thing He wasn't, the one thing He, he hated, the one thing He was repulsed by. He became that sin for us. And he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani. My God, my God, why so forsaken me? And we don't theologically, nor will we ever, maybe even after we get to heaven, we may never understand completely this, that for one split second, the Father and Son we're separated. I don't understand that. They're both God. But here he is. The sky is dark. The earthquake. The veil of the temple is rent. The way you went to God, the Holy of Holies, where only the priest could go. Now that it is rent, anyone can go. And the strong leader of the Romans, Garrison, who had taken him up there to crucify him, what does he do? but fall to his knees. A Roman soldier before the king of the Jews. 
and said, truly, he was the Son of God. Now, folks, there were some things going on that day. A Roman soldier, a centurion, trained to be the toughest in the Roman army, fell down at the cross. He could stand no more. As Paul said, the just dying for the unjust. We do not deserve salvation nor forgiveness. That's why it's called grace. There's nothing we've done to deserve it. And this is the day and the death that Christ died for all of us. Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The winepress of the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. And he says to you, if you accept me as the one who did that for you, I will bring you not into my kingdom, into my heaven, forever and ever. You will be my child. You'll be heir with me. Eternally, you will be saved and forgiven for all your sins. What do you have to do for that? Nothing. You can't do anything. He did it all on the cross. His last words, it is finished. One man wrote a book, a theologian said, the finished work of Christ. I love that phrase. We can't add anything to the cross. You can't help God get you to heaven. You can't be good enough, join enough churches, be baptized enough, do enough good works. Folks, the cross will get you there and nothing else. Jesus will get you there. And I'm going to say this, as I've always said when I preach this sermon, you've heard the death he died. Only a fool would reject it. If you're here in this building today and you don't know Christ, I'm going to give an invitation, just a moment, just for you to acknowledge Jesus, who he is, the Son of God who died for your sins. And if you don't and you don't know him and you don't accept it, then I, I'm, I'm going to say you're a fool. And that's on the authority of God's word. Because John chapter, 1 John chapter 5 says if you do that, you've called God a liar. Because you've not believed the record that God gave him the Son. So you not only are a fool, according to the Old Testament, but you're a liar too. You're calling God a liar. And folks... I wouldn't want that on me. Would you? No. No. So, accept what he's done for you. Let's stand and pray.
every head bowed and every eye closed across the room. I, I want people to pray, even if you don't know Christ, especially you, pray. And just talk to God in the best way you know how God knows your thoughts. He knows all of us. He knows every sin you've ever committed. He knows everything about you. And as you're praying, and Christians especially praying across the room, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as Savior, you're what this message is all about. Jesus coming and dying for you. And you say, Pastor, I don't know what to pray. Just tell, be honest with God. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Just say, Dear God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus died for my sin, and I accept Him for who He is and what He did for me. And I, I want to go to heaven and be one of His children. Save me, Lord. And friend, if you're doing that this moment, there's not a one of you that God won't save. Whoever calls on me, he says in Romans 9, I will save. So if you're here this morning and you're doing that for the first time, I'm going to ask you, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you this morning. Slip your hand up. Don't be afraid. Slip your hand up right where you are. I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Anyone at all? We close. Maybe you can't raise your hand. That's okay if you can't. But please accept the gift of God, eternal life through Christ. And if you need to know more, come forward at the invitation or call me or, or grab one of the deacons of the church before we leave here. But folks, that's important. And I pray, Lord, as we close this service that we have... As Christian people, the people here who know Christ, have been drawn a little closer this morning to the message. Have drawn a little closer to you in understanding what you did for us and how you died. Thank you, Lord, for the message of the cross, the message of Calvary, the gospel of Jesus Christ that is able to save anyone. Anyone. Lord, we ask a blessing on the invitation if someone has been touched by the message, wants to pray, recommit, pray for someone. Maybe they just need healing physically. Lord, let them come and pray this morning. Lord, bless the invitation as it's given, and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.